Well, again, our sermon text for this morning is Psalm 119, verses 89 through 104. And it's here that we have before us two stanzas that the psalmist David is writing to us. The the first stanza that we're going to tackle this morning, verses 89 through 96, is David somewhat coming out of the pit of despair. If you were with us last week, you saw the low point of this psalm where the psalmist David begins to to look all around him and he feels outmatched and hopeless. He is longing for the Lord's salvation. He is being persecuted by his enemies. And yet in the midst of that valley of the shadow of death, he says that your word before me is my foundation, is my salvation. And in knowing that, it seems as if now in verses 89 through 96 that as the psalmist David comes out of that pit of despair, he is saying it is only because of the unfailing certainty of God's Word. He tells us that the portion that is God's Word as it holds before us, God Himself is the only thing that might sustain us in the pit of despair but also draw us out of the pit of despair. And so in verses 89 through 96, he's going to give us something like some doctrines of the Scripture. He's going to tell us that the Word of God is perfect, or as one preacher puts it, above contradiction. He's going to tell us that the Word of God is perfect in every way. And then, in that second stanza that we're going to handle this morning, in verses 97 through 104, he's going to commend to us the Word of God and and help us see the value in it. And so that's how we're going to tackle this portion of God's Word, the portion of this song from the psalmist David, just simply by these two stanzas. First, somewhat of doctrine of the Word. And then secondly, in verses 97 through 104, he's going to commend the Word. And so before we read our text, let us pray to our God for help. Father in heaven, indeed we need your help. We need the Helper. And how good it is that in your Word you have promised us a Helper that will be with us and in us. And so Father, by your Spirit, would you give us ears to hear your Word? Would you give us minds able to understand it, hearts ready to receive it? May we rightly hear, which means that we will be quick to obey this, your word. You have especially revealed yourself to us. And as you hold yourself out to us, then you hold out to us what our duty is. And our duty to a holy God is to live lives of holiness And so, Lord, would you use this word to sanctify us, conform us more into the image of your Son? Would you use this word to enable us to put to death sin in our life and to pursue Christ's likeness for your glory and the fame of your name? We ask these things in the name of Christ, our Savior, your Son. Amen. Reading again, 89 through 104. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will not forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. 
I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie and wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have, sent a, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Well, as we dive right into uh, this portion of God's word, I want you to look back with me at verse 89, where the psalmist David declares that the Lord's word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Now that's an interesting way of saying what David is attempting to say because immediately we begin to think about fixed as something that needs tinkering on. That's a good Dylan, South Carolina word. Tinkering. We tinker with things to fix them. But that's not what the psalmist David is declaring. He is declaring that there is something foundational about God's Word. And then immediately we begin to think about foundational foundations as earthly things. We think about things like foundations of a house. And yet, the psalmist David says that this foundation, this fixedness, has nothing to do with worldly standards, but has everything to do with heavenly standards. He tells us quickly in verses 89 that the Word of God is firmly fixed, its foundation is in the heavens. What one pastor says is that this means that the Word of God is a firm foundation that is above contradiction. That the Word of God is a firm foundation that is above contradiction. You think about that. You think about how the world challenges the authority of the world. And then you think, well, God's Word is above the challenge. You think about how the world tells us that the Bible contradicts itself. Well, that cannot be true because its foundation is in the heavens. It is above all contradiction. Or you think about how the world might tell us that the Word of God is tainted by the sins of its author. Well, that cannot be true. Because its author is the Holy Spirit who is above the world. What I'm trying to say here is that the Scriptures is always true. It never fails. It is unalterable in the heavens above. That's what the psalmist David is declaring in verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed or founded in the heavens. It is above contradiction. It is above error. It is the light in the midst of the darkness. Well, I'll kind of reveal to you my geeky side with this illustration, but I've been, I've been listening here recently to uh, the Lord of the Rings series by J.R.R. R. Tolkien. 
And there was a scene that I was actually listening to this week, and, and others have pointed this out as an illustration for the light and the darkness in which the Scripture brings. And the two main characters, the two main companions, Frodo and Sam, they're, they're traveling, they're sojourning together in this very evil country. And, and Frodo, the main character of the books, he has been wounded. And what Sam thinks is that he's been mortally wounded. He is going to die. And so Sam is left all alone in this evil and dark country. He's surrounded by his enemies, and he thinks that finally evil has won. And it's at that moment that he begins to look up into the skies. And he says, J.R.R. Tolkien says, There, keeping among the cloud, rack above a dark tour, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart. And he looked upon it and he saw the bright light shining upon this forsaken land. And in that moment, hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, though the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing and there was a light and a high beauty forever beyond its reach. What... what what Sam realizes in that text is there is a light in which no evil can touch. And what the, what the psalmist David is declaring here in verse 89 is exactly the same thing. He is saying that the Scriptures are above anything that evil might touch. Anything that evil would taint it with. We might look around the world and we might say that it looks dark and despairing. We might say even that sometimes the world around us looks hopeless and it seems like evil is overrunning the earth. But we have a star in the heavens, as David says. And that star, that light, that no evil can touch or no evil can extinguish is God and His Word. No trouble can contradict it. No trial can challenge it. No sin can taint it. It is fixed in the heavens, David says. And we ought to regularly take that in. Because so often, society has proven time and time again that, that it's at odds with the truth of our Bibles. And as Christians, they look upon us as aliens and enemies because of the things that we might believe. And we might be tempted to think that evil is prevailing over God's church and God's people, but it cannot and it will not because God's Word is firmly fixed, founded in the heavens. Evil will pass away. Even the Scriptures say that heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will always be founded in the heavens. It is above contradiction. But you also see, really, it's starting there in verse 90, that the characteristics of God also apply to the characteristics of God's Word. If you look at verse 90 again, it says, Your faithfulness endures to all generations, and you have established the earth, and it stands fast. 91. By your appointment, they stand, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. Verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished, in my affliction, 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. 
And then the beginning of verse 94 says, I am yours. You see, as, as David begins to ponder and reminisce upon the characteristics of God's Word, he realizes that it has the same characteristics of his God. In fact, as David holds out before us this Creator God that establishes the day and even sustains the day by the appointment of His hand, he says, it is that God who has also revealed Himself in His Word. He has shown Himself in a special way by the Scriptures, by our Bibles. If we want to know what God is like, we simply open our Bibles and we begin to read it. For He tells us what He is like. And throughout the Scriptures, what does He tell us? He tells us in Isaiah chapter 6 that He is holy, holy, holy. Well, that means that the Bible, our Bibles, our Scriptures are holy. That they are perfect in every way. That they are high and lifted up. That they are majestic in and of themselves because they are God's Word. And also in Revelation, as the Lamb is seen... By the Apostle John, he says, And there is the Lamb in the midst of them, and He is faithful and true. It's actually written as if we're saying that that is God's name, faithful and true. Well, just as our God is faithful and true, we can apply those characteristics to God's Word. God's Word is faithful. God's Word is true. It is perfectly faithful. It is completely true. And so as David holds out to you the faithfulness of this majestic and holy and true God, he is telling you that the Word of God is faithful and holy and true as well. We can go to it and we can search it and it's always going to prove itself not only to be right, but to be completely faithful to you, no matter your circumstances. And so you think about this. There are very few times that we have true friends. We, we count it a blessing to have true earthly friends. And you know what those faithful friends look like. When they say, I was teaching Sunday school this morning, and we were thinking about the Philippian church and the ministry that they had to the Apostle Paul. As Paul asked them to pray for him, he knows that they will pray. Why? Because they're faithful friends. And so a faithful friend, when you say, Will you pray for me? And they say, yes, I will pray for you. They actually pray. Not all friends will do that. Some people will just give you lip service because that's the honorable thing to do here in the Deep South Bible Belt. Yes, I'll pray, and then they'll never even think about your prayer request. A true friend, a faithful friend says, I will pray for you. Says, we are going to get through this thing together. While everyone else loses interest, a true and a faithful friend says, I have locked myself arm in arm with you, and I am praying and I am walking with you despite the circumstance. Well, David says, you know, the earth has few friends like this. Even you might say, I don't have any friend like that. Well, the Scriptures tell us that we have a friend in Jesus as He is revealed to us in His Word, and He is always a faithful friend. God's Word is as certain as His faithfulness, one commentator says. And as he argues that in verses 90 and 91, he points to how the, how the world is sustained by a holy and faithful God. And he says, this holy and faithful God who makes the sun rise and the sun set, 
is your God. And you are His child. And you are His friend. He is faithful to you. And then in verse 96, I want to point you to this characteristic, this doctrine of the Scripture. That it is beyond perfection. The psalmist David says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. We, we could actually scratch at this, and the original Hebrew uses the same word for per- perfection in that first line and, and broad in that third line of that verse. What the, what the psalmist David is saying, I have seen a limit to all the broadness or the perfection, and I have found that your word is exceedingly perfect or exceedingly broad. In every situation of this life, it speaks with perfection. And that's, that, that is a, that's a concept that can be quite mind-boggling for you. Because not only is God's Word a firm foundation, not only is God's Word above contradiction, not only does God's Word show us His faithfulness to us, our friendship that we have with this holy God, but it's beyond perfection, which means that we can plunder the depths of God's Word and never find the bottom. That it always has something to teach us. It always has something to hold out to us. Have you ever went to God's Word in the midst of a hard circumstance and you say, well, my circumstance just outmatched God's Word? No. You've never done that. Have you ever gotten to the point where you say, well, God's Word has nothing to speak about this situation or this circumstance. It has nothing for me. No. You can never plunder the depths of God's Word and all of its mysteries. Maybe this is a better way of asking the question as we think about this. Have you ever come to a verse in your Bible and all you can do was shut your mouth and pray? Because you you couldn't even begin to comprehend the the glory that's being revealed in that verse. You think about the the great verse that we all probably know in John chapter 1.1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Well, we know that's talking about Jesus, but can you search the depths of the majesty in which John is speaking? You can go into my office right now. I guarantee you I have 30 plus books on the Gospel of John. And every one of them will say something along the lines of, we know that this is Jesus, but this is far beyond what we can imagine. That the Lord God Himself would take on flesh to dwell amongst us. That the Word of God who spoke creation into existence would come in the humble form of a baby. We cannot plunder the depths of the mystery of the Gospel. Nor can we even begin to conceive the extent of the Scripture's promises. You think about John chapter 17 where Jesus is praying for His disciples and us. He prays that the Father would share with us the love in which the Father has for the Son from the beginning of the world. 
You think about that. Can we fathom the love that the Father has for the Son? Can we fathom the love that exists within the triune relationship of God, Father, Son, and Spirit? Can you conceive the promise that just as the Father loves the Son, that He loves you in the same? That's an unmeasurable love. And do you know the depths of your sinfulness? Well, I'll tell you this. The Word of God, as you approach it, begins to unfold for us, reveal to us the depths of our sinfulness. The depths of our sinfulness is revealed to us in the Word. Every time you think that you have the wickedness of your own heart revealed to you, the the moment you begin to think that you understand just how sinful you are, you go to your Bible and you see that you're being introduced to all of these new sins that you never even thought existed within yourself. And once you see your sinfulness, have you ever understood the fullness of, of the preciousness of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ which takes away the sins of all who believe? No. You can never understand how precious the blood of Jesus is. You can never understand how full its extent is for the salvation of sinners. When, when, when David says in verse 96 that we have seen a limit to all perfection on this side of heaven, he says, but this word that is firmly fixed in the heavens has shown me even more perfection. It invites me to plunder the riches of God's Word so that I might learn more and more about Him, about myself, more about the Gospel, more about this friendship and this sweet communion that I have with the Lord Jesus. It's beyond perfection, the psalmist David is saying. And as he thinks about this Word that is beyond perfection, that is showing us God's faithfulness, that is above contradiction, that it cannot be touched by this evil world, he begins to commend it to you in verses 97 through 104. And in verse 97, he talks about the affection that he has for God's Word. Knowing what has been declared in verses 89 through 96, the doctrines of the Word, what the characteristics of the Word are. He begins to hold it out to you and He says, Oh, how I love Your law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, the way in which the psalmist David writes here in verses 97-104 through is he's commending it to you. He's holding it out to you. He's inviting you to love the Word of God as He loves the Word of God. And immediately He as he talks about this affection that he has for his Bible, he begins to say that I've looked upon it and I have found that it is useful. I have found that it is profitable. I have found that it is practical. Therefore, I love it. He would not love something that he could not use, that would not change him, that would not hold before him Jesus, the, the Savior, the friend of sinners, and yet the psalmist David, as he declares his affection for the Word, he says it does all these things. He does all these things. It is the Word of God that is good for you, he is saying. 
You know, we've been studying through the Thessalonian letters on Sunday evenings, and I love that little line in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, because he's commending, he, he's rejoicing in the work of the Thessalonian church, and he says, as I preached the word to you, you did not take it, or you did not accept it as the words of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. And that is the word in which we ought to love. That is, that is our understanding as we approach our Bibles. These are not the words of David. These are not the words of Paul. These are not the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the words of God. Human authors penned it, yes, but they were driven, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so what we have before us is a word that we can love is a word that is practical, is a word that is useful. The Apostle Paul will say, all Scripture is given by inspiration and profitable for reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man of God might be equipped for every good work. And thinking about that being prepared or being trained up for every good work, you notice that the psalmist begins to commend the Word of God to you because it makes you simply wise. Look at verse 98. Actually, this is going to be repeated in verses 99, 100, and 104. That the Word of God not only has grabbed the affection of David, but it has made him wise. This is what 2 Timothy chapter 3, right before he tells us that the Holy Scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, it says this, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with these sacred writings. And here's the part I want you to listen to. These sacred writings, your Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So here's what the psalmist is commending to you the Scriptures. He's saying that God's Word is able to make you wise unto salvation is to make you wise unto sanctification. will make you wise as you grow in godliness, as you mature, as you grow in holiness. The psalmist here commends the Scripture to us because it makes us wise. In fact, it makes us wiser than anything that our teachers might teach us or anything that experience might teach us. There in verses 99 and 100. Now, this isn't the psalmist David somewhat taking away from the role of a teacher or even the role of a seasoned saint that's had all these experiences in life. But what he is saying here is, no matter what experience might teach you, and no matter what teachers might teach you, as good as those things are, they'll never be able to pale in comparison to what God teaches you through His Word. You know, the Bible commends to us seasoned saints who might go before us. In Titus chapter 2, it tells us that the old men should be training up the young men and the old women should be training up the old women so that they might live faithful lives. It tells us that parents ought to be training up children so that the next generation might declare to one another that the Lord, He is God. There's There's a relationship here in which seasoned saints Olders must be training up younger in the faith. And even the Scriptures tell us that teachers have an important role within the life of a believer. Really, the common grace of the Lord for all people are teachers within schools, like elementary schools and 
and high schools and colleges and universities so that they might teach trades and, and knowledge. And yet, nothing will ever compare to what our God teaches us through His Word. And so the, the psalmist commends the Word of God to you and says, you've learned much through your experience. You've learned much through your teachers. But, but please understand that there is much more to know as God reveals Himself in His Word. And as He reveals Himself in His Word and this knowledge comes, you'll understand in verse 101 that real knowledge, true knowledge, only comes through obedience. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word, he says. Jesus emphasizes this throughout his whole ministry. It's interesting to me that in the Great Commission, when he tells his disciples to make disciples, he says, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. What are we to teach? We are to teach doctrine, yes. But we are also to teach them to obey God's word. What the psalmist David here is saying in verse 101 is to rightly hear God's Word, to rightly grow in wisdom and knowledge, is to actually be transformed in the renewing of your mind that transforms the way that you live. He's simply saying you do not know the Word of God as it is revealed to you unless you are doing the Word of God. You must do the Word. You must be hearers and doers also. And when we're hearers and doers also, the psalmist David says that, that the Bible will be a pleasure to you. Look at verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Here he tells us that when we're rightly hearing God's Word, when we're rightly doing God's Word, it will be sweeter to us than honey to my mouth. What is he saying? That as the Scriptures reveal to me Christ, as the Scriptures teach me my salvation, how to be saved, as the, as the Scriptures teach me how to live, how to step away from every evil way and pursue Christ's likeness, he says that there is nothing sweeter than the communion with God in His Word. There is nothing sweeter that this world has to offer than the sweetness of being in community with God. In fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. You know, there's a hymn that I, I love in our hymn books. I think it's on page 700. You can you know, glance there if you want to. But, but that hymn has a couple of great lines in it. It says, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. There is nothing for you to sing, nothing for you to find real joy rejoicing in if you do not know the Lord. But then it also says, the hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets before we reach the heavenly fields or walk the golden streets. In other words, Isaac Watts, who's the author of that hymn, it is saying that the experiences that we have of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good as He is revealed to us in the Scriptures is just, it's just taking us up to heaven. 
We do not have to wait until heaven. It seems as if the hymn writer is saying, he's saying, I have tasted the sweetness. I've had the spiritual pleasure of God in His Word that is not matched by any other experience in this life. It's far beyond earthly pleasure. This is a supernatural, this is a heavenly pleasure. You know, one of the things that is so often true is we struggle in the Christian life. We have these valleys, we have these mountaintop experiences, yes, but they are few and far between. It seems as if the the mountaintop experiences come and go quickly and the valleys last forever. As, As the psalmist David is coming out of the pit of despair, as he casts his eyes upon his God, as as God has revealed to him in His Word, as he he basks in the the communion that he has with his Lord, that's, that's heavenly, that is far beyond anything this world has to offer. He says, how I love Your Word, O Lord. You know, in the Christian life, when we're struggling... Maybe it's time for us to get back into the Word. Maybe it's time for us to stay in the Word until we can say alongside of the psalmist, Lord, Your Word is sweet to the taste. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, I can come to Your Word and it is sweet to the taste. You prove Yourself to be faithful and You make me wise. You sanctify me by the Word. And of course, that is an answer to the prayer in which Christ prays. In John chapter 17, He prays for His people. He prays for us. And He says, Lord, sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is true. Let us love the true, perfect, inerrant words of God all the more. May we find ourselves loving it and meditating on it all the days of our life until we reach glory. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we do come thankful for Your Word. And we pray, O Lord, that we would be a people of the book, that we would be a people who love Your Word, a people who long to come to Your Word, to taste and see that You are good, and that You are, by Your Word, making us wise. And so, Father, let us hear it, let us understand it, let us obey it, let us see Christ. Yes, let us see our sin, but most importantly, let us see Christ. And let us plunder the depths of the riches of the Gospel so that we might be encouraged and changed. So that we might persevere through any valley of despair. Even more so, Lord, we pray that Your Word would draw us out of the pit so that we might find that happiness might come and go, but joy comes every morning. And so, Father, we pray that You would lead us by Your Word all the way my Savior leads me. You lead us by Your Word. And may we faithfully trod as you lead us all the way home to heaven. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.